Our reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, which is page number 980 in your pew Bibles. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you very much for that reading, and uh, thank you all uh, for having me this morning. It's a, a real privilege to be here. It's always a privilege to bring God's Word to God's people. So I want to let you know that today. But I'm also particularly thankful and full of joy at this opportunity to preach to you all because uh, I've known Tim and Sarah for um, several years now, going back. And I've looked on from a distance as Tim came here several years back and this past fall transitioned in the senior pastor role here. And truth be told, I've, I've just been cheering from the sidelines as all this has been going on. And uh, the reason why, to adapt the words of one of my favorite authors, I would say a good pastor is hard to find. Uh, unfortunately, a good pastor is hard to find. Brothers and sisters, I want to just start by reassuring you that by God's grace, I think you've called one of those good, hard-to-find pastors to shepherd this flock into the next chapter of this congregation's life together. Um, and that's just exciting. Tim, as I like to say, is the real deal. He's a man of integrity who loves the Lord, loves his word, loves his people. And I've seen that consistently uh, through the years that I've known him. And you guys are going to be the beneficiaries of the manifold gifts and graces that the Lord has given him to shepherd the flock. That's exciting stuff. So I want to begin on that note I also want to begin on the note of recognizing all of these things that we've talked about, that we've sung about, that we've just heard even in, in Tim's giftedness. This is all by God's grace. 
And so um, we need that grace once again this morning, desperately. So I want to begin with prayer as we open the word together. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we celebrate the gifts and graces that you've bestowed upon the pastors that you've raised up to shepherd the flock. Pastor Craig and Pastor Tim, particularly here at North Sub in the last few years, thank you for your sustaining grace for this church, for the way you have faithfully led them through the years, and will continue to lead them in the future. Lord, we're praying for more grace this morning. More grace that as we hear these words, we will hear them for what they really are, the very words of the living God. Spirit, we ask that you would come and have your way in this place now, and that you would give us ears to hear what you were saying to each of us. We pray all these things in the name of that great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, when Tim invited me to preach uh, this morning, he, he oriented me to the sermon series that you all are walking through this spring, No Spectators, uh, Body Life in the Local Church. Now, to be honest, my first response in hearing this was basically something like, well, how hard could that be? I mean, it seems at first sight, it's a no-brainer that God's design for the church isn't that there are a few players out there on the court And everyone else is a spectator up in the stands eating popcorn and cotton candy and all those kind of things. And I say it's a no-brainer partly because, you know, you probably couldn't read through one whole chapter in the New Testament without encountering some vision of what we would call the one-anothers of Scripture, right? Have you heard of those? The the one-anothers of Scripture are those places in the Word where the mutual ministry of God's people to one another becomes explicit, Whether it be the call to love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, seek to honor one another above yourselves. Do you see how the assumption in all of that is that it's all of us who are doing this stuff? Now today we're looking at the idea of serving the church, that is serving in the arena of the church by serving the people who compose the church, the body of believers gathered in this community because of a common faith and unity in Christ. And so today, we could frame what we're doing as zeroing in on one particular one another of Scripture, the serve one another of Galatians 5.13. It's going to be up on the screen. It says there, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there you have it. It would seem the call to serve the church is plain enough, and therefore the call to not be a spectator but rather a participant is obvious and seemingly easy enough, except, well, it turns out upon a little self-reflection, that's actually much, much harder than it first sounds. To support that claim, I could call upon evidence from my own life and my own struggling heart. This evidence comes particularly, uh, I find, at 3 a.m. when our newborn daughter has woken up crying for the fourth time in just uh, a few hours. Um, This, this is a moment that I struggle with the call to serve. (laughs) The call to not be a spectator but to be a participant. Truth be told, I want to stay in the stands, or in this case, in the bed, 
and uh, let my wife take the court for a bit, right? Can you relate to that? Now, this is just one of innumerable examples that I could bring out of my own life. And I'm betting that if we played back the tape of all the interactions we've all had this last week with our spouses, our parents, our children, our siblings, our coworkers, our friends, much less all the folks in this church community, our brothers and sisters in Christ, it would show forth the truth that all of us are still struggling to be a people who serve one another. In some way, shape, or form, we're all there. All of us actually need help here, despite that first impression. Oh, yeah, we got that. We need God's grace to do a powerful work in our hearts to make us more and more into a church of no spectators, a church which consistently serves one another in a way that's countercultural and supernatural. But the good news is, we have been given that help in spades. Do you know where that help is found? Well, our main passage today, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, makes it abundantly clear where that help is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is actually going to be our big idea for this morning, which you'll see on the screen. It should be also in your outlines. And that is this. Unless we are first served by Christ, we will never be able to serve like Christ. I want to say that again. Unless we are first served by Christ, we will never be able to serve like Christ. I wonder if you believe that this morning. The call to serve seems so simple, so easy, but it turns out it's one of the most difficult things for people this side of the fall to do consistently. And thus, it's one of the areas we need Christ the most. So this morning, we're going to explore the very simple logic of this big idea. First, as you'll see on your outline, by looking at the church served by Christ, and then by exploring what it looks like to be the church serving after Christ or after Christ's example. Okay, so first things first, looking at the church served by Christ. Look again at Philippians 2, 5 to 8. It's going to be up on the screen. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you hear the glorious truth proclaimed in these verses? The Son, the second person of the Trinity, fully God with all the glory and honor that God alone deserves, set aside his privileges, the things that were rightly his as God, and took upon himself the nature of a servant by becoming incarnate, that is, by becoming human. And that humbling, that condescending from the highest heights imaginable, from the glories of God's throne room, involved not only becoming human, which would have been enough, it also involved experiencing death the author of life itself, snuffed out, if you can imagine it. And not just by any death, by a death on a cross, 
We forget about this. We see crosses on necklaces. This was an instrument of execution and torture and shame in the ancient world. Instead of clinging to his prerogatives as God, using them to his advantage, as the NIV puts it, he gave them all up. And he did that all in the words of the ancient creed for us and for our salvation. There was a TV show a few years back called Undercover Boss. Does anybody remember that show? Know that show? Couple hands. Okay, great. The idea for the show is simple. Let me, let me unpack it. It secretly taped what happened when the boss of a company disguised himself or herself and acted as if they were an average Joe just hired on to the company. And as you can imagine, the revelations that occurred when this happened were sometimes laughable and sometimes quite painful. In one episode, the president and COO of Waste Management, the country's largest garbage company, took off his coat and tie and put on his boots and neon vest and went undercover as an entry-level worker on the job for the very first day. Okay? And when I watched that episode, my mouth literally dropped open as I saw him, the, the man who had... His house was worth millions. He has the nicest corner office in the entire company. Now, shuffling through garbage, cleaning out porta potties. And one day, being fired on the spot by his supervisor for not being fast enough in picking up trash on a hillside. Literally, that happened. This man stooped way below his pay grade and education level in order to find out what work was really like for his laborers. And it was an act that took great humility and concern for those under him. He wasn't wasn't an arrogant man. He was humble in this. It required a willingness to serve them. But even that incredible act of condescension pales, absolutely pales in comparison to what Christ did for us. Portrayed in this passage setting aside his privileges that rightly accompany being God in order to come and experience what it's like to be human. The text says that in comparison to the glory of being God, he basically made himself as nothing. He emptied himself, not of the reality of being God, but of the privileges that come from being God. And he did that for us, that he might serve us as the God-man, accomplishing a salvation that we were hopeless to accomplish on our own. That's the gospel, right? Now here I think it's really helpful to go back to the big theme of the sermon series, No Spectators. There actually might not be a better way than this phrase to summarize what we see here in Philippians 2. Because if if anyone had the right to be a spectator, right, If anyone could legitimately sit in the bleachers and not be indebted to anyone, ever, then it would be God, right? It would be God. And yet the glorious truth here is that Christ did the exact opposite of that. He left the glorious stands of heaven and entered the muck and mire of this corrupt and broken world. And I think what we need to see here is that this call not to be spectators, this call to serve the church, this call doesn't ultimately come from Pastor Tim and the elders. 
It doesn't even most ultimately come from the prophets and apostles who wrote these books in the Bible that we hear from every Sunday. Ultimately, this call comes from Christ himself. Through his word and through these servants. And this passage tells us that this call, therefore, comes from one who has been there and done that. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? I mean, there's a huge difference between a general who calls his troops into battle out ahead of the front lines, right? And one who simply commands his troops to head into battle from the safety and comfort of the war room back home. Huge difference there. Church, I want us to see today that Christ calls us to serve as one who has gone before us in it. Christ has experienced what it was like to battle with selfishness in this fallen world. And he's calling us to follow him in the terrain that he has already scattered out. This is made clear by one verse, Matthew 20, 28, which tells us that Christ's purpose on the earth was simply this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you ever found yourself wondering why Christ came in the first place? What his whole ministry on earth was really about? Can we, really, can we just boil it down? The Bible's so big, there's so many claims out there. Can we really cut to the heart? Well, here it is, clear as day. The Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve us and die for us. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's, it's something we, we get so used to hearing, we forget how incredible that claim is. And the thing I want to make sure we see here before we move on is that this is the essential foundation for any substantial movement to have no spectators. We've got to get this before we can move on to the next thing. It's absolutely pivotal if we're going to press into the call to serve one another. Because we're saying that not only does Christ serve as an example for us to follow, we're going to get to that in part two, but also, more shockingly perhaps, that we're only able to follow Christ's example by truly beholding and receiving the incredible ministry he's already done on our behalf. That's our big idea, right? Unless we're first served by Christ, we'll never be able to serve like Christ. Why? Because he is the only source powerful enough to enable us to begin any imitation of his ministry. On this point, John Piper puts things very nicely. I want to share what he says up on the screen. He says, Christ is not given to us first as model, but as Savior. In the experience of the believer, first comes the pardon of Christ, then the pattern of Christ. For only when we experience the pardon of Christ can he become a pattern for us. That's what we're saying. That's what we're trying to drive home. So before we get to all the specifics of what this should look like in the life of the church, we have to make sure we get first things first. The first thing, the most foundational thing is, no surprise, the gospel. The gospel always calls us to be served before it calls us to serve. And this is because the kind of pride which refuses to be served by God, as Peter exhibited when he refused to let Jesus wash his feet. Remember that? That has no hope of ever serving as Christ did. 
But the one who beholds by faith the wonders of how Christ came to serve and becoming a man and dying for our sins on the cross, that person and only that person is someone who can be transformed to be able to serve like Christ. So I have to ask, where are you today in this? This is the fun part about being a guest preacher, see? Because, see, I don't, I don't really know any of you all. So I get to kind of ask questions that, you know, Tim wouldn't normally ask, right? Because he's, he's going to know you are. So I, I want to be bold to ask, have you actually received the gift that Christ made available through this ministry by faith? This service that we've been talking about, have you actually made that your own? Have you received that? I mean, you know, there are lots of people who show up at church week in and week out and don't actually believe the things that are being sung by the choir or proclaimed from the pulpit. I don't know how many of you might be in that number today. But if that is you today, might this also be the day that you behold, maybe for the first time, the beauty of what Christ has done in leaving his throne to come and live in this wrecked world and die a sinner's death in order to redeem hopeless people like you and me and make us into a community known as the church because that's what we're talking about. I hope and pray that this might be the case if only because it turns out it's absolutely foundational to the idea of no spectators and serving one another in the church. All that is only possible for those who have first been served by Christ in the gospel. And if you want to know more about that, there's a lot of people in this room who would love to share that with you. I'm one of them, but the pastor, Pastor Tim, the elders, others, eager to have that conversation with you. And for those of us who then have received that ministry, we can move on to consider then what it looks like to be the church serving after Christ. We see this highlighted in the first four verses of our passage today, which again will be back up on the screen, Philippians 2, 1 to 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, see that? See how that's assumed? Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here Paul assumes that if we're in Christ, if we have received the gift Christ brought about by his humble service, then as the church we'll have a love for one another that operates not out of selfish ambition, right? That's the natural inclination of the flesh. We're already doing that very well and good, right? <laughs> we know how to do that. But rather, in humility as we consider the value and significance of others before ourselves. This Christ-like mindset manifesting, going beyond looking out for our own interests, everyone does that, right? We don't need grace to look out for number one. <laughs> we do that very well, thank you very much. We move from that to first and foremost looking out for the interests of others. Whoa, now that takes grace. That takes power. Which is just to say, we look for ways to serve others, don't we? 
Why? Because as verse 5 makes abundantly clear, we embrace in our relationships the same mentality that Christ himself did when he, with unfathomable humility, counted our lives more precious than his and looked out for our interests rather than his own to the utmost. Now here again, I think we need to slow down and realize that this is actually much, much harder than it sounds. I mean, let's just focus on just one portion of these words for a second. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, I have to confess, at least from my part, that sometimes it's hard for me to count others as more significant than myself, even when I have a deep respect and sense of appreciation for those people. Right? That's already hard enough for me. How much more difficult do you think it is to consider as more important all the people with whom I disagree about matters so important like how to educate our kids, how to spend our money, what movies we should and shouldn't watch, how central our ethnicity should, to be, should be to our sense of identity, who we should vote for in the next election, and on and on. See, that, that raises the stakes, doesn't it? And this doesn't even begin to take into account relationships where there have been personal offenses committed, real or perceived. It's hard to serve those people we perceive as having slighted us in some manner. It's even harder to hold those people in higher regard than yourself, right? And then there's the challenge of particular wounds which have inevitably accumulated in church community like this over the years. Abiding remark here, an intentional snubbing there, perhaps a bit of slanderous gossip let loose then, perhaps even a verbal attack of some kind. All these things feel like they make it impossible to esteem the folks who have inflicted these wounds the way this passage says that we must. These are the real barriers to serving one another in a community like this that we need to be aware of. We need to get them on the table and say, they're there, they're real. We can't ignore that. And at the same time, these are the very barriers that this passage and others like it are calling us to see in the perspective of the gospel, right? As the NIV puts it in verse 5 of our passage today, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Notice there isn't a caveat here. Except with brothers or sisters that you don't really care for, that you deeply disagree with, that, you've done, that have done things to offend you, maybe even that have done things to hurt you. We don't see that asterisk by this verse. So we don't get to choose which relationships in the church are going to be the ones we seek to apply the mindset of Christ? We don't, we don't get that option. And if we ever struggle with this, which we will, part of what we do is come back to a passage like this one and ask the question, did Christ exclude any of us from receiving his ministry of service because of all the reprehensible things that we had done? Thank God the answer is no. He did not. 
In fact, that's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? It's the beauty of what's stated so simply yet powerfully in Romans 5.8. One more verse you could go to for a quick reminder about these things. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just a couple more verses, Paul's going to go on to clarify that Christ died for us while we were his enemies. He wasn't selective about who he served based on whether they were deserving of that or not. Good thing, or guess what? None of us would be in the door. No, he served us while we were hopeless sinners and rebellious enemies, and he did it out of love. And so, Philippians 2 is encouraging us to embrace that same mindset by grace. Serve God's people as Christ did, indiscriminately, consistently, humbly, passionately. At this point, maybe you're saying, okay, Ryan, I get it, (laughs) but what does that actually look like? Well, glad you asked. In some sense, of course, the possibilities of what this looks like are literally endless. If we're taking on the mindset of Christ in our relationship with other believers, there is no end to what sorts of things we could do to serve them after Christ's model. But you say, well, throw me a bone and give me a hint, okay? All right, let's start with our passage today. Verses 3 to 4 give us two very concrete starting points. Verse 3, look at that again. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Now, what could this look like? I think one thing this could look like would be celebrating when your brother or sister is recognized for serving well rather than internally sulking that you never get recognized for your ministry accomplishments. Okay? I've been there on that one, folks. I know what that looks like. I know that's real. We serve our brothers and sisters when we rejoice in their commendation rather than withhold our praise and affection out of envy. We serve our brothers and sisters when we seek to be an encourager, someone who is looking around for how others are following Christ's humble example and letting them and others know when we see it, celebrating it rather than bitterly resenting that others don't recognize our contributions. How about another one? Verse 4 goes on to charge us simply to look to the interests of others rather than just our own interests. What might that look like? Well, turns out you've got a lot of starting points for what that can look like at North Sub right here on this sheet of paper. I am not being paid for this promotion, by the way. This is entirely voluntary. What an opportunity here. See, there's an insert that's already highlighted lots of opportunities to look to the interests of others by serving them in some way, right? And instead of, say, serving on the AV team because you want to check off your religious good deed for the year or because maybe you're begrudgingly doing your church member duty, rather, what would it look like to see it as an opportunity to follow the example of Christ in serving your brothers and sisters in a role that's often out of sight and out of mind. Most of these are not going to be public arenas of service. That's a wonderful way to follow Christ's example. Another place we could turn for further help in envisioning what this call 
to be the church serving after Christ looks like is 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10. I want to go there briefly. It's going to be up on the screen. Peter, after reflecting on the example of Christ, just like Paul did in Philippians 2, exhorts the church this way. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Peter here highlights another particular way we can serve one another, and that's showing hospitality. The intentional invitation of others into your homes and your lives. Now, this isn't about hosting glamorous dinner parties with fancy china and elaborate menus. If that's what you think of when you think hospitality, banish the thought. Okay, this is about simply inviting people into your world to care for them, serving them by giving up of your time and resources to make them feel welcomed. And hospitality actually offers us one of the greatest venues for service, especially if we think about extending invitations, not just to the people who are a lot like us. That's fairly easy to do, right? But also to people who are very different from us. You might especially consider what it looks like to invite someone from this church community over who you know is going through a hard time right now. Someone who's hurting who is needy, who might feel underappreciated, who seems on the fringes of community. I would encourage you to think on, pray about, and act upon that as the Spirit prompts. And toward that end, I want to encourage you in one resource. It's a book by Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. This is just one book. It's very easy to read. It's very wonderful in the way that it unpacks the gospel logic of how the gospel makes us a people of radical hospitality. Okay? And in that end, I have two of these copies I want to give away today before I leave the church building. Okay? That's like my goal to give it away. So please come up to me afterwards. If this is kind of scratching your itch, I want to put this book in your hand so that you can move further in that advance. It's a wonderful resource. But Peter also makes clear here that one wide open avenue for serving one another in the church is also by using the gifts which he's given to each and every one of us, right? Did you know that you're gifted? You are. <laughs> if you have the Spirit, he has given you particularly gifted, particular giftings, which we often call spiritual gifts, for the specific purpose of serving and building up the body of Christ, which begs the question, do you know your gifts? If you're looking for some help, you could take a look at chapters like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, to see some of these gifts li listed off. There's even spiritual gift inventories that you can take to help you further pinpoint areas that the Spirit may have gifted you. But if I may, let me encourage you that here Peter is speaking about these sort of gifts in a very broad way. Whatever gift you've received from the Lord, whether you can particularly identify it on an inventory list or not, use that gift to serve others. Do you want to know what gift or gifts that might be that you have? Are you unsure about that? The easiest way to find out is simply to ask the people in this church community who know you the best and have seen you 
serving in various ways through the years, ask them what they think your gifts are. This could be family, good friends, a pastor. They can tell you where they have seen good fruit emerge from specific arenas of service. And that's likely due to a gifting the Spirit of God has given you for the building up of the body and the greater glory of God. So, happy hunting. Go find those gifts. Go figure it out. Go leverage those for the sake of the church. And see, the possibilities are literally endless. We could keep going. We won't, but we could keep going. Do you see? Spiritual gifts are just one avenue to explore, and actually it's important. We don't just associate serving with those gifts, right? My wife used to oversee the usher team at our current church, and one thing that I think rightly bothered her was when people, when asked, would say, well, they didn't feel gifted or called to usher, per se. What they were often really saying was they didn't feel called to serve in the church at all. And hopefully what we're seeing loud and clear today is that isn't an option. We're all called to serve in all kinds of ways in all seasons of life. This doesn't say, you know, I have to wait until you're 18 years old to start serving or once you're 65, you've done your time. No. Wonderfully, this entire sermon series you're in, No Spectators, is going to showcase even more ways that you can work out this call to serve the church in light of the fact that Christ has already served us more than we could possibly grab, grasp or imagine. And so to close, I want to come back to Philippians 2. Verses we've seen throughout the entire service. This is how the passage closes that we've been hearing about. Listen to this. After Jesus was humbled to death, death on a cross for us and our salvation, we hear this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wonderful, isn't it? Just slow down and take that in, that vision. But you know, there's a similar promise for us as we seek to imitate Christ by serving the church. And just so you know, it's not that at your name every knee will bow, okay? You're not that impressive, and neither am I. No, while that honor belongs to Christ alone, hear what Paul reminds believers about in Galatians 6, 9 to 10. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The Spirit reassures us, brothers and sisters, that our ministry of service, like that of Christ himself, will not be in vain. You can take that to the bank. So don't grow weary of doing good. Don't throw in the towel on serving the church in innumerable mundane ways that so often go unnoticed and unappreciated. Why? Because in due season, we'll see a harvest from all these acts of service offered unto the Father as we follow the example of the Son by the power of the Spirit. So keep serving, brothers and sisters. Keep serving everyone that the Lord brings across your path, but in particular, Serve the church. Serve the church because we have first been served by Christ in a way that we could never deserve or repay. Let's pray together, church.
Father, we do thank you for your word that just so wonderfully points us to the humility of Christ who came to serve us, who came for us in our salvation, and the wonderful glory that 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 unfolds, that unveils the glory of his humility, his willingness to serve, and the way that becomes the power by which we begin serving after Christ. Spirit, would you help us this morning to not resist where your word is speaking to us and, and prompting us and moving us, but instead may we become doers of the word as the word calls us to. May we more and more see the opportunities to serve our brothers and sisters because the gospel, in light of the gospel, in light of the salvation that is ours, that we could never deserve. Do this work here for your glory, we pray. Amen.